You're listening to the Dwell on These Things podcast, a regular dose of Christ-centered encouragement to put your mind in a better place. Listen in as Pastor John Stonge shares Bible studies, interviews, training, and some of his most recent sermons. We're glad to have you with us today. This morning we're continuing, we're resuming, I should say, our our look at the book of Proverbs. We've been looking at the book of Proverbs for quite a while, and uh, now we're getting toward the end of the book of Proverbs. Today we're going to be in chapter 29 of Proverbs, and I'm going to be looking at a variety of verses with us here. We're going to be jumping around a little bit and looking at, at selections here, but we're going to be talking about this idea of brokenness and the benefits of being broken, but also the fact that we don't want to stay in a broken spot forever. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs 29. And I'll just point out, since we'll be looking at a selection of verses from this chapter, I'll just point out as we go along which verse we're going to be jumping to, because we're going to jump around a little bit here. But we're going to start with verse 1 of Proverbs chapter 29, and this is what it states. It says, He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. And then verse 3 says, He who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. And then verses 5 and 6 say this, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. An evil man is ensnared in his transgression, but a righteous man sings and rejoices. And then verses 8 and 9 tell us, Scoffers set a city aflame. But the wise turn away wrath. If a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs, and there is no quiet. Then finally, verse 11 tells us, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, and thank you for the privilege that it is to be able to look at this portion of Scripture together today. We're grateful to have access to it. We're grateful that you allow us to study it together, and even for the fact that we can start off our week looking at your word together. We're just grateful for that. So, Lord, we pray that our minds and our hearts would be prepared to receive this, and we just pray that you'd prepare us likewise to live it out. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a a season of life that I think we are, that most of us, I think, tend to go through at at one point or another, but a, a season of life where we are less prone to receive counsel and more prone to resist counsel. Now, typically, for most of us, that season was probably earlier in life, although for some, it may have been somewhere in between, or maybe for some, it would be maybe at a later season of life. But I think we all have probably gone through a season where we have been resistant to outside counsel. Now, the thing is, a life that hardens itself to godly counsel, a life that resists godly counsel, is a life that tends to become needlessly difficult. And there are a lot of difficulties that you and I are going to face over the course of our lives, but we don't want to invite a variety of needless difficulties in our lives. And a life that that is resistant to to godly counsel, a life that kind of hardens itself to it, is a life that experiences quite a variety of needless difficulties. And what happens is we all wrestle with pride. I wrestle with pride. You wrestle with pride. We all do that. And when pride gets in the way of us heeding an outside perspective, 
what we do is we set ourselves up to experience a considerable amount of pain and then even brokenness like Solomon describes in the opening verse of the portion of Scripture that we just looked at. But now, here's the other interesting thing. The Lord doesn't waste any experience that you or I go through. Even those moments that were our low moments, the Lord still makes use of those things. And there, admittedly, are, are benefits that can actually come from our seasons of brokenness. There are benefits that can come into your life and into my life through those seasons, through being broken. And what ends up happening, as far as I can tell, is that the Lord takes our pride and He strips it away, and then He shows us and He convinces us that our arrogance is useless, and then what ends up happening after we go through that stretch of time where we become convinced of those things is that our hearts tend to become a bit more teachable. And when we become more teachable, we do more listening than we do talking, and as a result, we begin to hear what the Lord's been trying to tell us all along the way. And the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus delights to heal broken people. When you look throughout the course of Christ's earthly ministry and you see the people that were rejected in the culture, but the people that Jesus welcomed near to him and the people that he ministered to and the people that he spoke to, it was typically people that were going through a season or an experience of brokenness. Oftentimes that brokenness was also accompanied with rejection from other people. But Jesus delights to heal and to welcome broken people. And frequently, he does the favor for us of allowing our seasons of brokenness to remind us that running from him is just going to produce pain. And so it's pointless to run from him. We, rather, we should run toward him. So as we're looking at Proverbs chapter 29 and just selections of it today, what we're going to do is we're going to see several things that Solomon goes to great lengths to, to demonstrate for us here about how we end up broken. So there's some words here that I think are cautionary so that we don't go in that broken direction or stay there too long. But I think we're also shown here how we can emerge from brokenness with greater wisdom and with greater poise. Uh, Ultimately, a wisdom and a poise that demonstrates the presence of Christ in our day-to-day life. So let me me begin our, our time together with just kind of pointing out a few things from verses 1 and 3. Because when you look at verses 1 and 3, it sets us up for the rest of what we're going to be looking at together today. And I think when you look at those verses, it shows us how we get broken. So here's how we get broken. Let me read those for us once again. We read them a moment ago. I'm going to read them again. But here's how you get broken. It says in verse 1, He who is often reproved, yet stiffens his neck, will suddenly be broken beyond healing. And then when you look at verse 3, it says, He who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. So think about some of the things that are mentioned there in in those verses. And and basically what it's it's teaching us is that ignoring verbal health is going to produce pain. And, uh, or or verbal help, I should say, counsel, right? Uh, It's going to produce pain. It's going to produce pain spiritually. It's going to produce pain physically, emotionally, relationally. All of those areas are are ultimately going to suffer if we ignore the verbal help that other people are trying to give to us, the counsel they're trying to give to us. And here's the thing. We've all done it. I can think of multiple instances in my life, and I'd love to tell you they were all ancient history where I ignored counsel, but that's not the case because we all do it, right? Who goes through your day every day thinking that you're wrong constantly? Not too many people. Most of the time we think we're right unless proven otherwise, correct? 
Doesn't it usually work out that way? So we've all done this, but hopefully if we've gone through a season where we've ignored counsel and then ended up in a broken state, hopefully you can experience and have experienced what the blessing of being brought back from it. And Solomon shows that brokenness, however, can persist for a very long time if a person doesn't bounce back from it, and that brokenness can leave some permanent scars if that's the direction we continue to take our lives. And so when you look at the picture that he's painting here, and he frequently paints these word pictures where he's trying to give you some insight into a person's life, and he's doing this in a very cautionary way, the way that, that I think, you know, like a wise grandparent would do is they're trying to show you what to avoid and, and what to embrace. But he paints a picture here for us of someone who is regularly offered good counsel. Regularly, not just one time, not just occasionally, but regularly offered good counsel. But because it doesn't fit with what they want to hear, they reject it. And the way he describes that here is that they stiffen their neck toward it. They stiffen their neck toward it. And I feel like we could take one of two postures when someone offers us good counsel. We'd either stiffen our neck or we could just bow our head and accept it. And I wonder sometimes, you know, which one we're more prone to do. I think we're more prone to get stiff necks, don't you think? I think certainly at certain seasons of our life, we can be very stiff-necked. In fact, that's what the Lord, when he was describing the nation of Israel at one point, what did he describe them as? You are a stiff-necked people. A stiff-necked people. And here you have Solomon saying, you know, we could either stiffen our neck or, you know, if if you just want to look at this and say, well, what's the opposite? What's the reverse of stiffening my neck to good counsel? Well, I could either stiffen my neck or I can bow my head and accept it. And that's something that I think we wrestle with. But if somebody stiffens their neck and they just stay persistent in in that rejection, Solomon tells us here that it leads to brokenness. That is the path to brokenness. That's how you get broken. You ignore godly counsel, you stiffen your neck toward it, you persist in it over the course of, a, of a, a period of time, and before you know it, it leads to brokenness. And here's the thing, if you're the person giving the counsel, a lot of times you have experiences and you have wisdom that you're trying to share with other people, but I know that you know this, people don't always want to be rescued from the consequences of their actions. There are times in my life that I've tried to save other people from the consequences of their actions, and only to discover they don't want to be rescued from it. They want to take their chances. They want to risk it. And so as a result, they get what they get. And I look back over the course of my life and I think, yeah, there's some things that I've received counsel from and I learned the easy way, but then there are other lessons that apparently the only way I was going to learn it is by being broken. And here you have Solomon trying to encourage us not to go in that broken direction, but thankfully the Lord can make use of us even if we end up in that kind of direction, but it can leave some permanent scars. And frequently, there's a couple things that happen here, and there's a reason why I read verses 1 and 3 together, because frequently if a person takes a stiff neck posture toward the help that they're being offered, they will also do something else right at the same time. And you can see that illustrated when you take verses 1 and 3 together. They'll ignore godly counsel, and the other thing that they'll do is they will waste the blessings that they're being offered. Those things go hand in hand. They ignore the counsel and they waste the blessings. And so Solomon here tells us that a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. So they're wasting the blessings they're being given. 
And the interesting thing is not only are they costing themselves something, but they're also costing the person who is trying to offer those blessings. And I actually believe that Jesus had this proverb in mind when he shared the parable that he shared in Luke chapter 15. In fact, several weeks ago at our Bible study, we were looking at at Luke chapter 15. And Luke 15 has one of the best-known parables in Scripture that Jesus had shared. The parable we typically refer to as the parable of the prodigal son. So you've heard that parable before. Even culturally, people if if you referred to someone as a prodigal son, people culturally know what you're referencing there. And in Luke chapter 15... Jesus speaks about somebody who is offered counsel and rejects it, and who is given blessings and squanders them. And I'll share a few verses from Luke chapter 15. Let me share verses 11 to 13. But it says this, and he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when you go into the details of that, it tells us basically the same thing that we see in Proverbs chapter 29, that that's specifically how he squandered the property that was given to him. So Jesus gives us that illustration. I believe he has Proverbs chapter 29 in mind when he demonstrates that through that parable that we see in Luke chapter 15. But basically, if we don't value the counsel that we're given we will ignore it. We don't appreciate the price that was paid to bless us. We will waste the blessings that were being given. And again, that's exactly what the son in Luke chapter 15 did, and that's something that we probably all have stories of seasons of our lives where we've done the same exact thing or something really close to it. Let me ask a few questions. I just want to gear our minds towards something as we look at what Solomon says here in this chapter. How often have you stiffened your neck to godly counsel or godly reproof? Is that something that came to your mind when I, when I shared that initially? Is that something that's been a pattern in your life? You stiffen your neck to godly counsel? How often have you, have you done that? Is that something that you could answer to yourself? Don't point at anyone, all right? No pointing. I just want you to answer about yourself. Second question is this. How often in your life have you squandered great blessings you ever think about that one? I don't know that I even want to know the answer to that in my own life. How often have you squandered great blessings that were offered to you and you squandered it? That's a hard one to answer, I think. Here's another one that I think is useful to ask. How long did it take you to come to a place of repentance? How long did it take? Some people spend a long time before they get there. I think as believers in Jesus Christ, we're called to have repentant hearts, meaning that that becomes the pattern of our life, that we demonstrate repentance all along the way, demonstrating that we need Jesus, that we need to move away from the things of this world and continually run toward Christ who welcomes us. Because giving ourselves over to the temptations of this world, what it ends up doing is it will, it will cost us. There is a price that you and I will pay if we continue to do that. Um, it will also cost those who have invested themselves in us. So it's basically a waste of the blessings that they have given, a waste of their counsel, but also a waste of of our time. And if we give ourselves, if we give our minds, if we give our hearts over to the values of this world, what that results in is just what Solomon says here in this passage. You will end up broken. You give your mind and you give your heart and you give your affections over to the priorities of this world, it is a guarantee that you will end up 
broken. It does not lead to a good spot. You will be broken. But will you listen if someone tries to interrupt that, that, that destination you're trying to take? Will you listen? The interesting thing is that some people in this world will listen if that pattern gets interrupted. But most won't. Some will, most won't. That's why I think Jesus reminds us that it's a narrow, it's a narrow path that we're on. It's a narrow door that we're walking through. When we choose to follow him, when we choose to trust in him, it's not the path that most people will select, but he invites us to select it, and then he empowers us to select it as well. So Solomon starts us off by showing us how we get broken, but there's redemptive aspects of this here as we continue our look through this portion of Scripture. And I want to show you something that he he shares here I think is very useful, and he gives us, again, another one of those word pictures that I think is very helpful to think about. But an unsnared heart learns to sing. So we can be snared if we want to be snared, but I don't think we want to be snared. And an unsnared heart learns to sing. And look at how he demonstrates this here. He says in verse 5, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. So he shows some snaring that happens there. But then verse 6, he says, an evil man is ensnared in his transgression, but a righteous man sings and rejoices. Isn't that a great line? A righteous man sings and rejoices. Um, so it's no secret that I love spring, right? I've demonstrated that in many, many sermons, in many comments, and in just my happy demeanor when, uh, <laughs> when spring comes around. But you know what I don't like about spring? The, the fact that for the past few years, I've had an issue right in front of my house. So those of you, many of you have been to my house, I guess some of you haven't, but right in front of my house, there's just like a small roof, a small porch roof right over my front door. And it's mostly attached to the house, but there's one post that is holding it up in one particular corner. And several years ago, carpenter bees in the neighborhood discovered that they really think that post is delicious. They love it. And it drives me crazy. And in fact, last year, I, I paid $300 to an exterminator to, to take care of uh, the carpenter bee issues, right? I thought that that was going to be, I thought I'd be able to solve that with that. Uh, a neighbor of mine said, I had that same issue. Here's a number to call. And I was like, oh, great. So I called the number that he recommended. And I thought the problem was taken care of. And guess what? It wasn't. It wasn't taken care of because guess who came back a couple weeks ago? Carpenter bees or their, their descendants, I don't know, right? And so I'm, see, I'm seeing this, and I'm like, how do they all know? And they just chomp away at that, and I, I think, all right, I've got to fix this. I can't let this be a problem. And so I actually bought, and I bought this last year. I just didn't have the opportunity to use it, but I bought a, a trap that said it was specifically designed for carpenter bees, and I thought, okay, cool, I, I hope this thing works. And it's got wood on the top and then a uh, see-through plastic trap on the bottom. And the wood on the top has holes in it that are the exact width that carpenter bees like to drill into wood. And because it's open on the bottom with light, that trap is see-through, but wood on the top, they tend to look at that and say, oh, it's been pre-drilled by one of my buddies. I'll go in and, and do whatever carpenter's Carpenter bees do when they drill a hole. So I put it up. Within 10 minutes, it caught its first bee. I was like, that worked quick. I thought that was great. But there were several of them that had been buzzing around out there. I checked on it about three hours later. And all, essentially, all the bees 
that had been out there were now trapped in the trap. And I thought, this worked that quickly? I thought, that was fantastic. And so I, like, I've been happy about it. And every time I look at it now, it's been empty because I think it caught all the bees. Or if there were any others, maybe they saw what happened to their friends. And they're like, you know, we'll move down a couple houses. So if any of my neighbors have carpenter bees now, I, maybe I sent them there. I don't know. But I was re- very happy to trap them. I was very happy to ensnare them, you could say. But I, I'll, I'll tell you what, trapping a pest, wonderful feeling. Being trapped as a human being, not so wonderful. And I think all of us could probably think about times in our life where we have been ensnared by something or when we have been trapped by something that was unhealthy or unwise and we invited it into our life and before we knew it, we were stuck right in the midst of it. Well, what does it take for something to ensnare you or me? It's actually a pattern and maybe you already know this pattern. But there's a pattern that, to getting ensnared or, or cautionary words that Scripture gives to us so that we won't be ensnared. Usually a trap or a snare that, that entraps you or me is going to focus on one of our dominant areas of temptation. It's going to focus on one of your dominant areas of temptation, just like a carpenter bee is just so tempted by wood that it wants to drill through, right? Well, you and I have areas of temptation that, that, that are areas of weakness, are, are areas of where we're likely to be entrapped. It's going to focus on one of them. And there's actually three categories that Scripture gives to us related to those areas. It talks about the lusts of the, of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And in fact, the Apostle John gives us those categories in 1 John chapter 2. Let me bring it up on the screen. I'll just read it for us. He says this in 1 John 2 verse 16. He says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And when he says the pride of life, what he's talking about here is like boasting about what you have or what you do. So it's like this boasting about either something you have or something you do. So the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, that's where we usually get trapped. That's where we usually get ensnared. That's where we usually get stuck. And so that's why Scripture gives us these categories to caution us about those areas because they look so tempting. They look so good. But if you really give yourself over to them, you're going to be ensnared and you're going to be broken. Now, I don't want to be trapped by worldly things. I have been trapped by worldly things. You have been trapped by worldly things. This is a constant struggle throughout the course of our lives, right? Well, I don't want to continue to be trapped by worldly things, and I suspect that you don't either. Now, Solomon describes men who are trapped by their flattery. When you look at what he says in in uh, verses 5 and 6, he describes men who are trapped by their flattery. He also describes men who are trapped by their transgressions. But as followers of Christ, this doesn't need to be us. We don't need to be trapped by those things. We've already been set free by Jesus. We just need to rely on His strength and rely on His power to ultimately see us through all the things that we're wrestling with. Because becoming ensnared by the things of this world, what it does is it robs us of the opportunity to fully enjoy the blessing of an unencumbered relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what ends up happening. And it robs us of the daily experience, the daily joy of walking with Jesus, walking in freedom, walking in liberty that Christ has already secured for us. And it also robs us of our motivation to sing with an unburdened heart. 
Because if you get trapped in something, if you get ensnared in something, that's going to weigh you down. And that's going to show up because you're, you're not going to sing. In some way, you're not going to sing. Joy is not going to flow forth from your lips if your heart is burdened with something. But Solomon here tells us that a righteous man sings and rejoices. Righteous man sings and rejoices. So someone who's walking in the righteousness of Christ, which Christ gives to us as a gift, right? It's not our righteousness, but he gives his righteousness to us, and he says, enjoy this. Walk in it. If we walk in the righteousness of Christ, we will sing, we will rejoice. I like picturing that in my mind. It gives me a, a mental image of someone whose heart is light, someone whose heart is cheery, you know, someone who's singing in the midst of their righteousness, someone who is, who is fully delighting in the presence of Christ in their life. And it just sneaks out of your lips like singing. You know, someone who isn't weighed down with the constant troubles or the constant pains of this world. By the way, when I, and I think I've shared this probably somewhere along the line, but I was thinking about this again this week. When I was a child, I could always tell if something was bothering, if something was bothering my mother based on her singing. It was a tell that she had. I could always tell if something was bothering her. So my mother was really, really good at remembering the words to songs. And I remember as a child, I actually was very impressed with this. Whenever we would drive, she would sing in the car. And I was like, how do you know the words to all these songs? Now, I'm assuming she was picking stations that played the kind of music she liked best. I don't know. But as I was listening to it, it actually had an influence on me. Uh, Much of my music trivia, I actually just won something in trivia the other week because I guessed what year a song by the Eurythmics came out, and I got it exactly right. It was 1983. Not bragging, because 1 John 2.16 says I shouldn't, but, <laughs> but I was pretty happy in that moment. And, um, and I have to attribute that to my mom, because she, I mean, she, would, she knew every song, and, I was all, and she was a good singer, too. She had a really pleasant singing voice, and I, I always enjoyed that. But I noticed somewhere along the way when she was going through a particularly low season, a particularly emotionally difficult stretch for her, I didn't notice it right away, but I eventually noticed that the singing in the car stopped. And it stood out as odd to me. I was like, Mom doesn't sing in the car anymore. Why isn't she singing? And from that point on, I could always tell if something was bothering my mother, whether she sang or she didn't sing. I have two more singing stories I want to share with you. At my father's grocery store, Stongi's Market in Scranton, Pennsylvania, where I spent most of my growing up years working, he hired a person to work the deli counter. He was a butcher, but he was mostly cutting lunch meats. I guess he did the other stuff too, though. Uh, But his name was Dominic. And if you ordered something from the deli, and you came up to the counter and you ordered that from Dominic, Dominic had a habit that I got a big kick out of when I was a kid and even as a teenager. He would always sing your order back to you. And it would either be some creative musical interpretation or it would be a song parody that he would think up on the spot. So you would order your deli meats or you would order your cheeses. And, and then Dominic, while he was preparing your order, would be singing your order back to you. And I don't remember all the songs, uh, but he did something once that has stuck in my mind and in my sister's minds for decades now. I remember a person came up to the counter and ordered a half a pound of American cheese. Now, what musical creation could you come up with if somebody offered you, those are your lyrics, 
come up with a song, they ordered half a pound of American cheese. And I remember when people would order, we would just kind of sit back and we would watch. We're like, I wonder what Dominic is going to come up with. And before you know it, and it's still in my head to this day, this is his interpretation of half a pound of American cheese. He just starts going, half a pound of American cheese, do-da, do-da. And he does, and for like, you know, four minutes as he's getting this order, and I'm like, all right, here it is decades later. And whenever I hear someone say the phrase, I kid you not, if I ever hear half a pound of American cheese, I immediately go back to being age 13, hearing Dominic sing that as, uh, as his parody, as his song parody. I have one more singing story for you, and it relates to somebody in this room, and I asked our permission to share this mere moments ago. Growing up, my wife and her sister were sometimes asked by their father to mow the lawn. And my wife will admit to you that while I take great joy in mowing our lawn, she hates mowing the lawn. And we even kind of made a contract when we got married where it's like, all right, what are the things you hate doing? And what are the things I hate doing? And we both kind of agreed. It's like, all right, I will never ask you to do this if you don't ask me to do this. High five, deal, right? Although to her credit, when I sprained my ankle about 15 years ago, I sprained it real bad. She's like, I will mow for you if you want. But she grew up hating mowing. She did not like mowing. And um, she discovered something about mowing. So to pass the time when she was mowing, she would just sing full-throated whatever song was in her mind, stuff from church, stuff from wherever. She'd just sing and sing and sing. So I just picture a teenage version of my wife out there mowing and singing her heart out and singing her heart out. And then one day, uh, as she was mowing, she heard one of her neighbors having conversation. And it dawned on her, wait a second. I always thought people couldn't hear me when I was doing that. If I can hear my neighbor talking... They definitely have heard me singing all this time. So I don't know how many months or years that went on before that light bulb went on, but that's one of my favorite stories of my wife's youth. But I look at this portion of Scripture, and what does it tell us? It tells us that, specifically Solomon says, a righteous man sings and rejoices. Well, when do you sing? When do I sing? I tend to sing when my heart feels light. I tend to sing when there's something that I'm, I'm happy about, when it's something I'm glad about. I don't tend to sing when I'm feeling burdened, when my heart feels low, when I've welcomed something into my life that doesn't belong there. I'm not going to be singing, right? You don't sing your way through that typically. Typically, you know, when your heart's just filled with regret and it's heavy, it's not a moment that tends to provoke song. When our heart is light, when it's cheery, when it's focused on the joy that we have in Christ, when it's not welcoming, when we're not welcoming things into our life that really don't belong there because they just drag us down, we stop welcoming those things in but just walk in the joy that we have in Christ. What does that do? I think one of the physical manifestations of that is that our heart gets to this light spot where song comes out in one way or another. And maybe you're not a singer. Maybe you're just one of those people that loves to tell people something that you're happy about. Well, in effect, is that not like a spoken word song? But the point is joy tends to come out of your mouth when your heart's filled with it. And you have Solomon describing that here, and he shows us something else. It's a very practical word of wisdom, and this is where we'll finish up today. Um, But when you look at verses 8 and 9, and then even down into verse 11... He he demonstrates for us here that those who appreciate healing, they actually learn to promote it. They actually seek to promote it. Look at what he says in these verses, verse 8 and 9, and then I'll read verse 11 as well. But he says, scoffers set a city aflame, but the wise 
turn away wrath. If a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs, and there is no quiet. And then in verse 11, he says, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. So I'll say this, and I think that some of you would agree with me on this you know, pretty readily, but I think we can become very useful to the Lord and very useful to his mission to rescue lost humanity after we've gone through a season of brokenness. Wouldn't you say? Don't you think that sometimes can tenderize our hearts and maybe teach us some things that we apparently had to learn the hard way? I think that we can go through a season of brokenness and come out on the other side as very useful in the Lord's hands. And if you've broken back from from brokenness, you've seen both sides of life. You've seen the low, you've seen the high, you've seen what it's like to, to be down in the depths, you've also seen what it's like to be yanked out of that. You know what despair feels like, you know what joy feels like as you're pulled out of despair by Jesus. And I'll say this, the only hope we have in this world is Christ. The only hope we have in this world is Jesus. Anything else that we try and anchor our hope to is really just going to be an anchor that pulls us down. But Christ is the solid rock. Christ is the one that we can anchor our life to, who won't drag us down. He actually lifts us up. He's the only hope we have in this world. And what he does is he takes people who have been broken and he mends us. He fixes us. He cleans us up. He forgives us. He brings us unto himself and he makes us useful. He makes us a new creation in him, Scripture tells us. And we're also told that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, transforms our thinking and he gives us clarity and he gives us a new perspective and he allows us to operate with a healthy understanding of how we should operate in the midst of this world. He transforms the way we see things. He transforms the way we think. And as our faith matures over time, and as our faith deepens over time, we begin to see that a worldly approach to life doesn't work. We can see it more clearly. Sometimes after we've been broken and been down in those depths and seen Jesus pull us out of that, we realize, all right, I don't want to go back there. That's one of the things that I've experienced in my life that's actually been very restorative and preventive, or preventative, right? Uh, when, I've, when I've tried what the world offers, realize all it does is produce depression in my life. And I think, all right, I don't want to go back there because I didn't like how that felt. Christ yanked me out of that and has put me on a better path. When you look at what this scripture tells us here, it tells us that our old approach was steeped in worldly thinking, but our new approach is effectively, it's seasoned with eternal life. And so you have a contrast being drawn for us in verses 8 and 9 and in verse 11, where it shows us the old way and the new way at the same time. You have a contrast. Worldly perspectives do something. If you and I have a worldly perspective, all it's going to do is it's going to divide and tear down. That's what a worldly perspective does. In fact, it says this, scoffers set a city aflame. Haven't we seen that in recent days? I mean, in recent days, what do we see? We we watch cities burn. You know, in the past year, we watch cities burn. Well, what contributes to that? Division, conflict. Cities will burn because of it. Solomon said it here a few thousand years ago. He explains that cities burn because of ungodly perspectives. And he also shows us that arguments persist and anger gets, gets fostered and vented in heated and unhealthy ways when the values of this world dominate and control our minds. So we're encouraged not to go in that direction. 
But those who have been down that road, those who have been healed by Jesus, seek to promote the healing that he offers. And frequently that healing is fostered through words. You can tear a city down with words, or you can foster healing with words. You know that there's two, like the two most powerful things you've been given are your prayers and the words that come out of your mouth. As you pray to the Lord and and seek his power and, and receive his help, and then speak forth truth as he gives you the ability to speak that truth, two very powerful things the Lord's entrusted to your care. Have you ever heard the phrase, I think I've said it here before, I say it to myself frequently, you don't have to attend every argument you get invited to. I'm certain I had to have said that here somewhere along the way, unless someone wants to argue with me about that, and that's fine. (laughs) But you don't have to attend every argument you get invited to. And I think that's a pretty good summary of some of the things that Solomon is talking about here in these verses. He's trying to teach that in these Proverbs here, right? You don't have to, the way he phrases it here, he says, if a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs. And there is no quiet, so you don't have to argue with a fool is what he's saying. It's pointless, right? You both look bad in the end. You know, you don't have to take the bait of a scoffer that leads to division and conflict and cities burning. You don't have to vent every time you're provoked, right? Sometimes you can be provoked and just keep your cool. And I think as believers in Jesus Christ, we can practice a quiet restraint where we yield control of our spirit over to the Holy Spirit and allow him to guide and direct our response. And you know when that's going to be tested? It's going to be tested in the smallest of ways, in the most mundane circumstance that you don't expect, and someone's going to be watching you the next time it gets tested. I had this tested the day after Easter for me. A friend of ours decided to give my son a whole bunch of woodworking equipment, and it was so much that we needed to rent a U-Haul to be able to bring it back here. And I was like, all right. So we, we, a few days before Easter, we set it up because the friend lives near where my family lives, up in northeast Pennsylvania. And so I thought, all right, perfect. We'll already be up there. We'll stay overnight. We'll get the U-Haul and just drive it back here to Langhorn. Perfect. No sweat. So we set it up on Friday. Then there's Saturday. Sunday is Easter. Monday, we go to pick it up. And when I set it up online, I specifically said they try and upsell you with an extra form of insurance that, in my case, I didn't need. And I looked at that online, I'm like, oh, there's like this $28 upsell, reject, you know, I don't want that. So they're like, are you sure you don't want this $28 upsell? And I was like, yeah, I'm sure I don't want it. And I don't need it. And so we go to pick up the car a few, or the truck a few days later. And when I get there, I noticed that when they gave me my receipt that I was supposed to sign, the man working the counter put the upsell back in. Now it's $28. It's not going to change my life. But I got to tell you, it annoyed me thoroughly. I was like, if you want to annoy me, charge me $28 for something I don't need. And my ears probably turned red. And I looked at him and I said, why is this on here? And he said, oh, that's uh, for extra insurance in case something happens. I was like, yeah, so I don't need that. So can you take that off? And he's like, no, everybody needs that. No, you're really going to need that. You want it's play it safe. I was like, I have the insurance that I need. I don't need extra insurance. I'm insured. We're good to go. And then he starts arguing with me about it. Well, it wasn't an argument because I didn't argue back. He just starts going on and on. And I was thinking in that moment, I was like, all right, the me of the past would have had this argument, and I think I would have won. <laughs> because he can't make me pay for it. I can't, he can't make me give him the money, right? 
And he's going on and on about it. And even more annoying, there was a McDonald's right next door to the U-Haul place, and he's chomping on an apple pie while he's having this argument. An apple pie from McDonald's. I was like, can you just wait to, like, eat that after we talk? And, um, and I, I thought, okay. And, um, and I'm thinking, all right, how do you want to respond to this? Like, the guy's literally trying to rip you off right in front of your face. And I thought, you know what? Here's how I'm going to respond. I'm not going to make a big deal about it. I'm just going to call customer service later, and I know that they'll refund the amount because I know what I put online, so I'll get it back. And I also know something else. My son's watching. And you know what happens when someone's watching and you know someone's watching? You behave better. (laughs) And I thought to myself, I can do one of two things. I can demonstrate to someone who I've spent 17 years investing in their life trying to encourage them to follow Jesus and to respond to people in a Christ-centered way, or I can lose my cool over a stupid $28 upcharge on this. And I thought, I'm not going to lose my cool. I'm just going to let it play out. I'll call customer service later, and I'll get my money back. And that's exactly what I did. And customer service even apologized. So isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? But, you know, you look at this portion of Scripture, and I'll tell you what, in this world, there are going to be many opportunities for you to feel provoked, maybe daily in one respect or another. And if you accept the provocation, I promise you, you will regret it. And if you reject the counsel that people try to give to you over the course of your life that points you to Jesus, if you reject that counsel... You will, also rege- you will also regret that. But if you have experienced at this point what it's like to be broken by the false promises of this world, and then you've also experienced what it's like to be mended by Jesus, you'll welcome the power of the Holy Spirit to, to guide your temperament and to give you a powerful testimony of Christ-centered faith and wisdom, and poise in the moments that you're being provoked that you can then use to be a blessing and an example to a very confused planet. And this is something Solomon was trying to illustrate for us in this portion of Scripture. And this is something that I suspect that you and I are going to have plenty of examples to live out when we get tested or provoked over the course of our lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word and just for the privilege that it is to be able to look at a portion of scripture like this today and to see that there, in a very interesting way, can be blessing to be, to to the experience of being broken in the sense that you remind us that our pride and our arrogance needs to be stripped away and that we need a dose of the power of your spirit. And as your spirit enables our minds to see and perceive things that we did not naturally perceive, and as your Spirit enables us to to react to circumstances in a godly way, you're empowering us to give this world a a picture of what a Christ-empowered temperament, what a Spirit-led temperament looks like. So, Lord, we pray that this would be the demonstration of wisdom that comes forth from our lives in the midst of times when we feel provoked. We pray that we would be people who approach you and approach others not with a stiff neck but with a humble heart, the head that's willing to bow and accept instruction. And Lord, we're grateful for the fact that you love us. We're grateful for the fact that you are good to us. And we're grateful for the fact that you give us opportunities to learn in so many contexts. Lord, for those that we love, 
that as of yet seem to refuse instruction. We pray that you would soften their hearts, that they would, that they would welcome the instruction that's being offered to them, and that they would accept the blessings that they've been given without squandering them. And Lord, when we're, when we're on the receiving end of those things, we pray that we would do the same. So Lord, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your love. And thank you for the counsel that you give to us from your word. Lord, we know that we don't deserve your goodness, but we're so grateful for the fact that you've looked at us, even in our broken state, and you have acknowledged to us and demonstrated to us that you heal the broken. You mend the broken. You lift us up when we're low. And we pray that we would welcome your power and your presence in our lives. And uh, again, Lord, we're grateful for the reminders and the teaching that you give to us from your word that, that points us in the direction that you want us to go in. And we're just thankful for all the blessings that you bestow upon us. We pray that we wouldn't waste a single one of them. We thank you, Lord, for all of these things. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Has fear stolen your peace? I'm Jennifer Slattery, lead host of the Faith Over Fear podcast, helping you fight your fears and grow your faith. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.